Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds on May 31st and June 1st hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org. You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. Last week's cold snap did more than just ice over roads and knock out power. It also revealed some cracks in King County and Seattle's cold weather emergency response system. The King County Medical Examiner's Office has confirmed that seven people died of hypothermia between January 11th and 17th. Of those, four were homeless. As KUOW's Casey Martin has reported, one of those individuals was 63-year-old J. Matthew Anderson. He died outside the Seattle Library's Ballard branch, and he was found in his car that he lived in with his dog Frankie. Anna Patrick is a Seattle Times staff reporter on the Project Homeless team at the paper, and she's been digging into the response by the King County Regional Homelessness Authority and its partner agencies, along with city and county governments. Anna, thanks very much for being here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So we had this heads up. Weather reports were telling us that the cold snap was on the way. How did the Regional Homelessness Authority and other agencies get ready? So before the cold weather arrived, um, we had our King County Regional Homelessness Authority, who is tasked with opening severe weather shelters for people who are living outside um, in Seattle and North King County, they began activating their like severe weather protocols about two weeks ago. Um, And they had about a two day window before the freezing temperatures arrived to start to make things happen. Um, What happened from there is sort of a staggered approach where initially uh, King County Regional Homelessness Authority said they would open 173 additional shelter beds. But after the cold weather arrived and we started seeing these severe weather shelters fill up, they added another 180 spots to um, try and get more people inside. Uh, In addition to the King County Regional Homelessness Authority It's important to note that all cities on the east side of King County, as well as all South King County cities, currently do not have a contract with the King County Regional Homelessness Authority to run severe weather shelters. So what that means is that uh, cities on their own have to decide to open extra shelter or space. And so when the King County Regional Homelessness Authority decided to activate before, you know, activate these protocols before the Martin Luther King weekend, um, They literally just have to contact every other city in the county and say, hey, we're activating. Are you going to activate? And based on that, six more cities out of 39 cities in the county chose to uh, add extra space. Just six out of 39. And I mean, you're really pointing to a patchwork of response that has to happen because these cities in South King County and on the east side don't have contracts with King County's Regional Homelessness Authority to activate these shelters. What do we know about how much demand there was for these extra beds and were they sufficient? I mean, there are 7,600 people that were estimated to be living outside in King County during the 2022 point-in-time homelessness count, as you mentioned in your reporting. A few hundred extra beds doesn't seem to be enough. What happened during that cold snap, and, and what did it indicate? 
I think maybe a good place to start is that what happened is actually not different from what happens every time there's severe weather. The amount of shelter, added shelter we saw, which is totaled a little more than 500, that's actually not a bad response compared to what we've seen in the past. Or I would say it's probably a pretty normal response. And that highlights, you know, some bigger system holes, right, in, in getting thousands of people that live outside every day in King County indoors during our most extreme weather. Um, based on the uh, capacity numbers I saw in King, the King County Regional Homelessness Authority sent me all of those for every shelter that opened across our county. Uh, the majority of shelters were either full, uh, almost full, or for most of them, especially in South King County, we saw many of these shelters almost double the number of people that they said they could hold you know like a lot of these were hosted in churches and it in some it was almost staggering how many additional people they let in during the coldest days the day that seemed to really hurt folks and and you know kind of force people to come inside was January 14th the holiday on Monday um, night and yeah, that, that's where we saw really our highest numbers. I will say, uh, in addition, Seattle had two severe weather shelters that opened. That, again, was run by the Regional Homelessness Authority. And the largest shelter that opened in Seattle was at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. They uh, eventually added 300 beds for people. And on that day, January 14th, there were 267 beds full. And compared to previous severe weather events, I would say that that's a pretty high number. Um, when we examine like past severe weather events, sometimes if the weather is just sort of teetering on, let's say freezing, it's enough to activate severe weather, but maybe it's not down into the teens like we saw the, the most recently in January. Sometimes what we'll see and what a lot of outreach workers will report is that you know, often people who are surviving outside, who have set up all their belongings outside, maybe they have carved out a little safe space, whether it's amongst other humans or maybe it's just by themselves. A lot of people are going to make a really like immediate real time decision on is it worth picking up and possibly losing a lot of their belongings to come inside to, you know, live like literally to survive through the night or do they think that the weather is okay enough for them to just kind of tough it out on their own? And um, sometimes in past events, right, like we look at the severe weather occupancy rates and um, the often we might not see them full and think, oh man, nobody needs it or nobody wants it. But what I've heard from a lot of outreach workers, it's actually much more complicated than that, right? Yeah, because people think they can handle and they, they usually in a climate like this, they are prepared to handle 30 degree weather, for example. But once it drops to the low 20s, into the teens, that is deadly stuff. And people who are living outside recognize this is the time to go in. Totally. Or sometimes, you know, this is unfortunate, but like sometimes people might realize that fact too late. You know, so maybe it's um, in the middle of the night and getting access to transportation is super hard for most of these shelters. You know, the advised information is like, find the bus line that will take you there. And, um, you know, sometimes 
even just getting from point A to point B, right, is so could be so hard on someone um, that they don't they don't make that step um, because of the barriers. King County Regional Homelessness Authority told you that it has in the neighborhood of $600,000 to fund these emergency winter shelters. And a spokesperson with the agency said it's not enough, right? I mean, what are the kinds of restrictions that they have on funding when they do get this cold weather and they need to ramp up more services? This is a tricky question and one that I think they are trying to anticipate to the best of their ability how many times they're going to have to open more severe weather shelters. And so, yeah, if they have a little more than a half a million dollars for this year, and that's got to cover every severe weather shelter that opens in Seattle for all of this year, as well as in North King County for all of this year, then every time there's a severe weather event, they're like comparing their budget to what they think they can afford and what will allow them to continue to have funds. If say we have a few like serious fires, right, that need us to open smoke shelters. Or let's say we have another like severe heat episode, right? And in recent years, we've seen actually more and more activations of severe weather. Uh, the King County Regional Homeless Authority tells me they, they anticipate this to continue to increase more and more due to climate change. And so every time this happens, they are sort of looking at their budget, trying to calculate what can we feasibly do while also maintaining enough money in the bank, right, to continue to pay our service providers if we need them in the future. That's all the same budget, the severe weather for winter shelters and the severe weather for summertime air quality when the the fires are raging and you have smoky air? Yeah, it's all the same. Wow. Yeah, it's it's for the whole year. It's for anything that could happen or come about. And and like, you know, I guess it's important to remember this cold snap happened at the very beginning of 2024. Right. And so they um, they're definitely having to make sort of real time decisions of what can we do now and still be able to be like responsive and agile in the coming months. Another thing to note is, you know, I checked in with them yesterday. They still haven't received their invoices from the two uh, service providers that they work with to do this work. And so it's also still, right, a question mark of how much money did they spend when they opened, it was 353 shelter beds. We don't know yet. We'll find out. Hmm. Anna, can you shed a little light on this? There seems to have been some miscommunication or maybe even a disagreement um, between the Salvation Army and KCRHA when it comes to capacity to operate more winter shelter spaces. What was that all about? Yeah, so I followed a thread where, you know, I I checked in with the Regional Homelessness Authority a lot throughout the severe weather event. Um, they were activated for almost a full week. That's a long time. And what I heard from them is that the city of Seattle in particular has additional city-owned buildings that could be turned into shelter if we needed it to happen, and it could happen pretty quickly. But what they said is that because um, they are only really contracted to work with two service providers, it's the Salvation Army and the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, that um, what they told me was that their staff was already maxed out based on, you know, running the severe weather shelters that open as well as maintaining all the regular operations. When I asked the Salvation Army about that, 
they said, not true. We, you know, they pretty much said, we didn't know that there were more available buildings that we could turn into shelter. Uh, we didn't decline any services because we weren't asked. Um, and so I think that, yeah, I, it sheds a light on sort of perceptions. But to me, it still signals, right, that with every severe weather event, there are a lot of decisions being made. And I think a lot of people are coming from it, like, with a lot of limitations in mind, you know? So if it was like, we want to try and get thousands of people inside for this severe weather event, then um, one, that would be really hard to do. And two, um, I don't I don't know if they'd be able to do it again, right? Speaking of limitations, I just want to highlight again what you said earlier. Just a fraction of these cities in South King County and on the east side activated severe weather shelters. And again, the King County Regional Homelessness Authority only has a contract with North King County and Seattle. So, you know, at the point at which the weather is dipping into the teens, how many cities again in the east side and in the South King County area had activated shelters? Uh, Six. And that includes Enumclaw. So that's very like southeast. Um, Six out of 30 something? Yeah, there's 39 cities in King County total. That includes Seattle. And you should know there are five cities in North King County that are supporting this new North King County severe weather shelter, which just opened this year. Um, So take out six of those cities, right? And then what are we left with? 33? Um, Yeah. And some of these cities have been doing severe weather for a while. For example, the city of Burien has been running a severe weather shelter out of a um, United Methodist Church for a few years now. Um, We also saw a church in Renton open up. Federal Way created some space. We had Enumclaw. I'm forgetting some. I want to say Auburn. But I would recommend if folks are listening and their city is not being listed right now by Anna Patrick, and you're wondering whether there was a severe weather shelter open during these, you know, very, very cold temperatures over the Martin Luther King Day uh, weekend and week, um, maybe, you know, give your city officials a call. Give your local city council members an email and ask what was happening here and why would the city not activate a cold weather shelter in in these conditions? I'm very curious myself. Um, so I, I, I'm just, you know, flabbergasted at the idea that the, the temperatures outside could be deadly and, you know, your local jurisdiction, your your local municipality isn't responding. Um, Anna, before we wrap up here, are there any adjustments coming to the system? I mean, as you said, this response was pretty average, if not um, exceptional for a severe weather event in Seattle. Um, but going forward, were there any lessons learned when we know that there were at least four unhoused people who died over this cold snap, perhaps more of the seven who died in King County? Any changes on the horizon? Yeah, I asked that question to a lot of different people over the course of a week or so in reporting the story. I talked to uh, you know, leaders of homelessness organizations that are providing you know, direct services every day. I talked to the Regional Homelessness Authority about this as well as the city of Seattle. And some of these folks said, yeah, I think it, it's time to reconsider if it's if we should be investing money in standing up some severe weather shelters to run through all of winter. Let's say maybe, you know, 
October through March or November through March or something along those lines where we have some infrastructure in place that people living outside know exists and can uh, plan their life around it. I think one of the reasons too that we um, that I've heard from outreach workers as to why some people might not utilize these severe weather shelters is that most of them are only open at night. So that means you get there at 7 p.m. They, um, you know, everyone's got to get out by 7 a.m. for most of these. And that means you're back on the street, right, in the cold, trying to figure it out, carrying all your belongings and such until you can get back into a shelter at night. You know, some service providers said it, you know, might be more helpful for a lot of people's lives, right, if they could keep their belongings in a severe weather shelter in the wintertime and so on. But I don't, I don't see any serious work being done yet to start to implement those changes. I will say that the King County Regional Homelessness Authority has made the severe weather response an important part of its five-year plan. It does have a goal to sort of put all of these severe weather responses under its umbrella just to make for a more cohesive approach uh, that will take more money, that will take more cities getting on board. Um, but I will say that they have definitely highlighted this as a, as a large prior priority for them. Another thing to note, I just want to circle back to what you were saying. I, you know, the city of Seattle, Deputy Mayor Tiffany Washington told me, you know, if every city in King County just opened up one of their spaces, let's say a community center or city hall, you know, you pick a place and let people come inside, it would make such a huge difference um, in the robustness of a response um, and could possibly save lives. Yeah, I do think it's important to, as we talk about this uh, to recognize that homelessness is a regional crisis. Um, a lot of people are talking about that. I think um, the Regional Homelessness Authority is constantly talking about it, right? And it requires sort of what they say is, you know, it really requires every every city to to play a role in in this response. Yeah. So ask your city, where do people go during cold, dangerous weather challenge? <laughs> Email your city council member or your mayor and say, why didn't your, you know, your office open up a cold weather shelter if you're on the east side or if you're in South King County? Again, some did. Burien, uh, one of them. Enumclaw is one of them. But um, dozens of cities did not. So I'm very curious what they say uh, to you as, as residents of those municipalities. Um, Anna Patrick, Seattle Times staff reporter with the Project Homeless team at the paper, reporting on these cold weather responses by local agencies. Anna, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And thanks for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Always happy to be here. Thanks for listening to SoundSide. And hey, this show is only possible because listeners support us. If you are able to give right now, check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, 
and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. 